I had a situation two years ago, um, and in that case, I was dealing with just one book that was challenged. This year, it was five books that were challenged, and it was more than just the books being challenged. It was me being attacked personally in terms of um, my reputation, my professionalism, my credibility. Hello, friends, and welcome to season four of the Future Ready Librarian podcast series, Leading from the Library. This is a podcast for all librarians, wherever you are in your journey. It is filled with amazing guests, important topics, and engaging conversations that will inspire, engage, and support all of us as future ready librarians. I am your host, Shannon McClintock Miller. I am the district teacher librarian at Van Meter Community School in Van Meter, Iowa, and I serve as the Future Ready Librarian spokesperson. I have the pleasure of working within my library and school community and also with others around the country and world through Future Ready Librarian events, conferences, consulting, writing, and more. I am honored to bring these voices and the work of others to our podcast and to all of you. Now for season four, we have added a few new segments to our podcast, including the Future Ready Librarian shoutouts and shares from our listeners. We will be gathering these shoutouts, shares, and questions for each episode, so be on the lookout to chime in and celebrate what you are doing within your library and school too. For our Future Ready Librarian shoutout today, I couldn't help but put one in here myself about the new School Library Journal, School Librarian of the Year, Casey Boyd. She's a dear friend of mine, and I'm so excited for her to get this honor. I took a little excerpt out of the School Library Journal article that they had online. And as shared by SLJ, as a librarian at Jefferson Middle School Academy in Washington, D.C., Boyd has transformed a collection to reflect the student body, create a culture of reading, Foregrounded, foregrounded media literacy, introduced a makerspace, and developed programs to meet her students' academic and social-emotional needs. A timeless advocate for her students and fellow librarians, Boyd became one of the biggest voices fighting to keep a librarian in every district of Columbia Public School building, and through savvy use of social media has become an influential voice in school librarianship around the country. So way to go, Casey. I can't wait to talk to you. And I'm so proud of everything that you're doing. And for a future ready librarian share, I would love to share one of our future ready librarian resources that has been around for a few years, but is always a great thing to go back to and to share again, especially as we talk about such an important topic in today's podcast. It is called the Let's Talk, a conversation starter for future ready librarians building collaborative partnerships. This step-by-step -step guide is designed to help librarians start and sustain strategic conversations with school and district leaders. Whether you're just getting started or trying to take the next step in your strategic collaborations, this step-by-step -step guide provides simple processes and curated resources that help you examine your current situation, inspire creative thinking, build new partnerships, and then collectively develop a collaborative plan for your students and teachers. So it's a really good thing too, just to reflect on as we talk to Martha today about the important topic that I think everybody is facing right now to have something like this. And so you can find it at bit.ly forward slash FRL conversation. And we'll also be putting that in the podcast notes. 
So let's get started with our conversation today. And I have been looking forward to this all day. I was at school working with preschoolers today, most of the day, and had in the back of my head how excited I was to talk to our guest, Martha Hickson. So welcome to the podcast, Martha. Thank you, Shannon. I'm glad somebody's excited to talk to me. I was working with high school students all day oh. today. Not quite the same level of excitement as your preschoolers. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> But I am talking to you from North Hunterdon High School in Annandale, New Jersey, where I am a high school librarian. I've been in this school for, this is my 17th school year. And I imagine we want to talk today about this school year in particular, which has been um, eventful, let's call it. Good word to use for that. Good word to use. And so one reason that I wanted to invite Martha on is because we had her as a guest. She did our keynote for one of our summits in February, our Futurity Librarian Summit, and we talked about censorship. And it was so great not only to hear her stories, but I felt so inspired to like take on you know, when this happens within our schools as well. And also I wanted it to be something that everybody could listen to. And so we're going to talk to Martha about surviving censorship. And I think that's like the perfect thing because I came away that day, girl, feeling inspired by you. And wow. not only the knowledge that you have, but also I like how you faced things that you, you didn't hide behind things and you face things just really upfront and you have a lot of great information. I think that arm will arm everyone when they have things like this happen as well. And so let's just kick it off by, you know, that, that topic surviving censorship and what that means to you. Well, uh, this year, it means something different to me than it's meant before. Um, Sadly, <laughs> this year was not my first experience with censorship. I had a situation two years ago, um, and in that case, I was dealing with just one book that was challenged. This year, it was five books that were challenged, and it was more than just the books being challenged. It was me being attacked personally in terms of um, my reputation, my professionalism, my credibility. Um, and at this point, uh, this happened in September. At this point, six months later, for me now, surviving censorship uh, is much more about me, the human being, than it is about the books. I learned in the hardest way possible that we as librarians really, really need to take care of ourselves when this happens. Um, I've been working for a very long time, not as a librarian, but I've been in the workforce for gosh, about 45 years now. And I've always been what you would call a workhorse. You know, um, I'll be the first one in the office and the last one to leave. And I really like to get things done and done well. Um, and I often let taking care of myself be in second place or fifth place or 10th place or no place at all. And um, when this situation arose in September, I was still in that mindset of, I got, I've got to challenge this, I've got to tackle it, I've got to do it. And my body disagreed. Um, and I had things happen to my body <laughs> that I had never experienced before on this planet. And I've now learned that I need to put myself first on the list. So when we're talking about surviving censorship, mm -hmm. it's a lot like being on that airplane with that oxygen mask. And if you're not taking care of you, 
you won't be able to take care of anything in that library, kids, books, nothing. So that's what surviving censorship means to me now. It means taking care of my physical health and my mental health. Yeah, and I love that. I think that's just so important and not even when we're just talking about censorship, right? When we're talking about our school year, I think about our our teachers and I even think about our administrators and our families and it's a it's good advice for for whatever we're facing, right? As a educator and as a librarian within a school. And so I appreciate that and that was inspiring to me that day, you know, cuz I I love to work too and I often think that it's really hard when we do such, um, we put everything into what we have. And then when things like that are questioned or attacked in your case, and, and I think that is so hard. And so what, what advice do you have for all of our listeners on things that we can do to survive censorship? Well, um, I think one of the things that's difficult for us as librarians um, has to do with the, the our natural disposition and the nature of our work. Most of us are operating in a situation where we're sole practitioners. We're the one librarian in the building. And we are used to being the problem solvers. People come to us for the solutions. And when you're in this situation with censorship, you can't solve this by yourself. You, you need to ask for help, not only with the censorship issue, but as I was just alluding to with your self-care, I needed to go for help. I needed to see my medical doctor and eventually I needed to see a therapist to deal with the emotional toll of all of this. So that's not part of our natural disposition to be the ones seeking help. Um, so the first thing is to, to get over your bad self <laughs> and realize everybody needs help. Um, and you're gonna need help. And here's where we are, we are good at this. You're gonna need help building a coalition um, to, to fight this censorship. So we are natural bridge builders as librarians. So that's the other thing. Once you have yourself squared away, start looking out for what natural connections do you have in your building, in your community, in your social circle that can help you with this situation and be creative with those thoughts. One of the things that happened to me, one of the books, one of the five books that was challenged was the book, um, uh, this book is gay by G Juno Dawson. And we didn't know what the outcome of the reconsideration committee was going to be for many months. But finally, the Friday before the decisive board meeting, which was going to be in January, the reconsideration committee released its report. And in its report, it recommended removing this book is gay. And I was just distraught. And then I looked at this book is gay. And what's on the cover? Introduction by David Levithan. So this is now the Friday before the Tuesday board meeting. And I'm like, wait a minute. David Levithan grew up in New Jersey. David Levithan works in New York City. I bet there's somebody I know who could get in touch with David Levithan. So I tell you this story to say, don't limit yourself to just who you know. You might, there might be somebody in your network who knows somebody really super powerful, maybe really famous, maybe really influential, and you don't even know it. So dream big and see who in your network can reach out. With respect to David Levithan, I sent out a note to the New Jersey Association of School Librarians, speaking of people who should get a shout out, they should. And within two hours of sending that email, I was trading messages back and forth with David. Um, who I'm sure all of our listeners know is an editor at Scholastic and a highly uh, awarded 
author of young adult materials himself. And within two hours, David and I were trading emails back and forth and he wrote a message to be delivered to the board the following Tuesday. Long story short, the board overruled the reconsideration committee and saved that book. Mm, that just so gives me That's creative yeah. networking. Yes, I love that. That's amazing. Well, and you think about that too, like don't be afraid you know, to reach out and to ask for help to people that, because then look what happened, you know, at, at that as well, which is amazing. And what I have found is that people want to help. Yes. They just need to know that you need the help and then be prepared to ask them for something specific they can do. For a lot of people, especially your community members, they may not have time in their day, especially in this uncertain um, COVID environment <laughs> to attend a board meeting, but most people are very willing to either pick up a phone or send an email on your behalf. So in addition to thinking about who can help, think about what kinds of things they can do. Yes. And think about where you might have shortcomings, where you, you don't necessarily have strengths, but you'd love it if there was somebody who was a good writer, or maybe you're looking for graphic design. So think of that wish list of skills you wish you possessed, um, and then the, the things that people can help you with. Because if you can give them a specific ask, people are so willing to help. Yeah, that's a great, I, that's a great um, thing to remember. One thing too, that I was having a conversation with some friends recently at a conference in Kentucky and one of the librarians asked us in our group what we thought about getting the kids perspective of books and to get their voices um, included, maybe if it didn't even include, you know, specific names. Do, do you have any like history with that? Or did you, did you do anything like that as well? Cause I thought that is one thing that, you know, we're always thinking, cause it's our children, you know, that we're, we're working for and our readers that we want to make sure that their voices are heard. Right. Kids are absolutely the secret weapon um, in uh, fighting censorship. And especially if you're working with middle school and above, but I bet if you had the right elementary kids, you could even get them but in my case, um, I had, uh, we're a two high school district and I had kids from both high schools who came out repeatedly. This went on from September through January. These kids came to multiple board meetings, sporting all of their rainbow gear because all five books that were targeted were LGBTQIA plus mm -hmm. books. Um, and they were the best. Um, oh. Board members cannot help but listen to the kids. And interestingly, you mentioned Casey in your intro, um, Casey posted on Twitter the other day uh, a little display that uh, she had put together with her students and students had written how they feel about uh, banning books. And she had uh, this set up in sort of a quilt-like um, display with the kids' actual kid-like handwriting expressing their things, their thoughts. And I had done something similar uh, in 2019 and it was just a little post-it note reflection where the kids had uh, learned a little bit about banned books, seen a display of banned books. And then I had a couple of writing prompts for them. You know, how do you feel about banned books? What would you say to a censor? And they just marked these things up on a post-it. And I, fortunately I took photographs of them when it was all done. So even if you can't get kids to physically show up, if you can get kid things that kids have created their own voice with their own kid handwriting so people can see how kids feel, that works too, share that far and wide. I love that. I think that's amazing. And when I think about our kids too, I think about the families and we recently um, had a great conversation here in Iowa 
because we're having some things with our librarians about um, really being uh, pushed that school districts might not require them to have their master's degree. And so, of course, I instantly reached out to our families, especially to the ones that I've had conversations with before, and even a couple grandparents that are grandparents in our district. And, you know, it didn't even take 10 minutes for them to respond and to have letters and to want to know what is happening. And so I think that is another really important thing for librarians to remember the what it means to our families to have not only wonderful collections, but us as librarians within our school too. And that was really powerful me for me in both of my um, censorship experiences in 2019 and this time. Um, over the 17 years that I've been here, I've been fortunate to be able to present to our um, parents advisory committee annually. So I've built relationships with um, parents, especially parents whose kids are library regulars, mm -hmm. especially in a high school. I don't know if it's the same in an elementary school, but in a high school, there's a special breed of kid that is a library regular. And the parents of that special breed of kid who's a library regular in a high school really appreciate that the library is that place for their kid. Um, and so in both of those instances, those um, censorship instances, the kids of those parents were first on board to come and help and then enlist their friends and neighbors to help out. So I'm, I'm really lucky to have had that support from parents as well. I think that's something that, you know, I'm never afraid to ask for, you know, parents to just voice what it means for their kids. And like you said, like libraries to kids, especially those kids that are our readers or the kids that are really drawn to want to be part of what happens in a library. That means the world to parents to be able to also have a voice in what our library programs and collections look like too. I think that that is so neat. And I'm sure that listeners are also wondering, you told us about one book, but I'm sure they're wondering about the five books that you mentioned and, and where that stands. Well, the five books, um, if you are following this in the news at all, the titles will all be very familiar. It started on September 28th with two books in particular being uh, complained about at the board meeting. Those were Lawn Boy and Genderqueer. Um, and then in the following days, the additional books that were added to the pile <laughs> were um, This Book is Gay, uh, All Boys Aren't Blue, and Fun Home. And the interesting thing about Fun Home is that's the same book that was challenged in 2019. So that one got a double dip. So what, where do they all stand now? Is it was a January meeting for every one of the books? Yeah, they um, there was a reconsideration committee. There was a single reconsideration committee for all five books. I have some issues there. Uh, and that reconsideration committee met the, from October through we're not sure because they didn't date their work. That's another thing. <laughs> but I am imagining that they finish up their work sometime in December. And uh, they gave a recommendation to the board sometime in the January timeframe to retain four of the books and to remove this book is gay. So on January 25th, that board meeting, the board had a resolution uh, for each of the books, a resolution to retain the four and a resolution to remove this book is gay. 
when it came time for a vote, there was public comment before that. And all of the public comment was opposing any removal of the books. So the community was not in favor of this. And then when it came time to vote, the board members did not accept that recommendation from the reconsideration committee. They overturned the removal recommendation and voted to retain all five books. So, and at that point, I, I was, my husband and I were watching this, it was live streamed uh, and because it, the meeting could not be held in person due to COVID. So my husband and I were watching this at home and I was literally biting my nails. And when the vote came in, you know, you hear this expression all the time, like a ton of bricks. Yeah. That, it hit me like a ton of bricks and I just started bawling. It just yeah. kind of released all of this tension and emotion that had built been building up for all those months it was intense <laughs> yes I can just imagine like my heart goes out to you but those kids that you work with are so darn lucky in the families and your community and so I just and and I think that it's I'm so glad that we had this conversation because I think that what you said the part of just remembering to take care of us is the most important thing and like the lessons that you have learned and the lessons that you've shared with us today are something that we all need to remember. And I really I think that. part of taking care of yourself is putting the whole thing in perspective. One of the things I learned was, and it's hard to say out loud as a librarian, but at the end of the day, it's just a book. Yes. You have built a wonderful collection that yeah. does not hinge on the availability of a single book. So God forbid they decide to remove the book. You probably have others on that topic. You can get others on that topic. And although it's not the desired outcome, it's not the end of the world. Yes, yeah, that, that's true. That's great advice. And I can't wait to just follow what happens to within, not just your library or my library, but it's just such a, it's an interesting and it has left me this year, you know, thinking about a lot of things I think that will make us all better too. And that advice that you just gave is one of those. And so we have a lot of lessons to learn and, you know, we've come a long ways and it has been a really tough year, but together we will get through this, my friends. <laughs> I love it. Oh, right, Martha. <laughs> I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I know. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for just this conversation and for joining us and for being a leader. And one thing I wanted to do too is for you to tell just briefly about the SLJ article and we will include that link. And if there's anything else that you want to share, like where people can find you online, um, I think that would be great too. Um, so the SLJ article, um... I would say it was late November and School Library Journal had reached out to me because there had been a few articles in local media about the situation and um, they wanted to be able to talk about what it what the experience feels like for a librarian going through it because sadly so many of us are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, they asked me to just write this first person account, which is what I did. I, I am kind of stunned <laughs> at the amount of visibility that it has achieved for better or worse. Um, the reason I wanted to do it was to be helpful to my audience. And I've had a lot of requests to talk to different 
media since then, and I'm really kind of limiting it to uh, media outlets that actually reach librarians. I have no desire to be the poster child for this situation. And I say for better or worse, because I've heard from so many librarians around the country um, who I've been able to have conversations with and kind of share with them what I've learned and answer questions they might have. But the for worse part is all the trolls that are out there on the internet now have a new pinata. Fortunately, I don't participate in a lot of social media other than Twitter as a PLN. So, um, you know, what I don't know doesn't hurt me, but I know that they're out there and they're having a heyday um, with old Martha. Um, in terms of how you can get in touch with me, I am on Twitter. Um, it's sassy, S-A-S-S-Y underscore librarian. Um, if you haven't figured out why sassy yet, uh, there is a story that goes with it, but most people, once they listen to me for five minutes, they get the whole sassy part. Um, but there's a story there, I'll tell you sometime if you want to hear it. Uh, so it's sassy underscore librarian. It is a private Twitter account. I switched it to private once all this started because of the trolls. Um, but those who seek to follow me, I'll kind of check you out and if things look legit, I'll let you in. Um, so that's a good way to get in touch with me. Or you can email me at my school email address. Uh, I'm at North Hunterdon High School uh, in New Jersey, and you can look me up there. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much. I always enjoy listening to your story and just to talk to you and get to know you better. So I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, we appreciate everything that you shared and, and everyone's going to be able to find Martha's information attached to this podcast, along with the resources and a certificate of professional development that you can download and fill out to use. As always, thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for this episode of the Future Ready Librarian podcast series, Leading from the Library, and a very special thank you to our sponsors, Follett. You make a difference in our library schools and within our lives and that of our students every day. We appreciate everything that you do. Please send your Future Ready Librarian shoutouts and shares to me at shannonmcclintockmiller at gmail.com or tag me at Shannon M. Miller. I hope that you can take what you learned in today's podcast and put it to use within your practice as a future ready librarian. Until next time, friends, keep finding ways to lead within and from your library. Thank you for joining us for the Future Ready Librarian podcast, Leading from the Library. I would like to also thank our sponsor, Follett Learning, for their amazing continued support.